This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to a big time edition, as always, of Under the Dome with the world famous CD. Oh, hey, that's me. Welcome, everyone. I'm live, as always, inside the 237 Roof Studios. It's like I never even left. And it's a wonderful Saturday morning. The weather outside, not exactly the best in the world, but trust me, it is still going to be an awesome day. Why? Trust me, there's a lot to talk about. This is one of the big weekends in sports. I talked about it during the inaugural show, how we had the Kentucky Derby. We had a big boxing match going on. Now it's like we're getting to the nitty-gritty of college baseball, college softball. We're getting to all kinds of great stuff, and I can't wait to sh- talk about it all with you. Of course, the Arco Equipment Hotline, it is open, 337-706-0111, Roof Studios, presented by Lafayette and Roofing. I'm live inside of it. So anytime you want to call us up, we are willing to take that call and want to take you on to talk about anything and everything in the world of sports. And trust me, we've got a lot to get to today. Of course, I'm going to start things off. Talk about what's on tap this weekend, but first, first things first, I make sure you know what's going on over on our Twitter poll right now, and the Twitter question for today is: Which trade partner should the Pelicans work with to trade Anthony Davis if Anthony Davis wants to still be traded? And of course, there's three options. I think the three most obvious options because I'm lazy like that. I guess Boston Celtics, New York Knicks, Los Angeles Lakers. Which one are you going to go with? And right now, this Twitter poll is blowing up currently at 14 votes. 57% are going with the new with the Boston Celtics. I'll give my take on it a little bit later on in the show. Because trust me, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to break down on today's show, and I'm looking forward to it. But of course, like I said, we're going to start things off like we always do each and every Saturday morning, give you an idea of what's on tap for this weekend. Oh, man, and this is definitely a weekend where there's a lot of stuff to kind of talk about, of course. Postseason for college softball, it jumped off yesterday. The beginning of the tournament really started on Thursday, but I feel like everything was really getting going earlier on Friday. Cages, they got a 3-2 win thanks to a clutch RBI single from from Lexi Como, excuse me, and they'll face off with Ole Miss, who opened up a whole case of, you know what, on Chattanooga. Dominant performance. We was 12 nothing. The Cajuns offense will be tested today at high noon because, trust me, what we've seen from the from Ole Miss's offense, this ain't going to be a half-stepping game. This be something I think many Cajuns fans need to be concerned about. And then LSU, they shut out Monmouth in a low-scoring affair, 2-0. It was also a low-scoring affair at Tiger Park later on when Texas Tech took on La Tech, or earlier in the day, I should say. Texas Tech... Beat La Tech 3-0, another low-scoring affair, so that could wind up being more of the same later on 
when these two teams face off in the winner's bracket. I believe that's going to be a 1 o'clock first pitch. And then the final thing of really of note was obviously Oklahoma being Oklahoma, but you also had Texas, the host team, lose to Sam Houston State, the Bearcats. How about that from them? And we'll talk with Eric Lopez, our softball guy, at 10-15, all about what happened with the first few games of the softball tournament, some dark horses, why we always see all the SEC teams involved in the tournament, why we just don't see them all make the field instead of like, oh wait, like half of them, like all the other conferences. It's a conversation that we'll get into at 10-15. And of course, today is a big day, the second leg of the Triple Crown, the Preakness Stakes, and it's definitely a lot more different than what you've seen over the past like 50 years. Because since 1951, this is the first time that the first four horses that crossed the finish line won't be running at Pimlico. And also the first time in 23 years that the winner of the Kentucky Derby isn't in the race. But of course, that is Country House. Want to make a whole lot of money off of that? I didn't, but I'm sure somebody did because it was like 64 to 1 odds to do that. You want to put it on an exacta? You made, you walked out of that casino, that racetrack, with a good bit of, get a bit of change in your pocket. But, of course, he's not in it. Neither is Maximum Security, who got DQ'd and is also, I believe, suspended for X amount of days. In other words, this thing is wide open, much like the Kentucky Derby was back on May 4th. And that was because there was no clear-cut favorite, and it's the same kind of situation. And also kind of some sad news out of the racetrack with congrats gal of Philly, who died on the track just after the Miss Preakness stakes on Friday, putting another black eye. On the sport, after some things that happened in California with several horses dying back in the winter and early spring, it's just not a good look in veterinarians. They were saying that it seems to have been caused by a heart attack after, the, like right after the race. But still, it's just some bad news in terms of the world of horse racing. But guess what? We're going to talk a lot about the the breaking the stakes. Did the Kentucky Derby get it right? Because that's something I've been wanting to talk about for the last few weeks, but it just felt like, oh, wait, you know, we've been definitely beating that like a dead horse. Might as well just kind of bring that back just as it's fresh, heading into, obviously, the biggest weekend of the year to be a horse racing fan. One of those three weekends, and my goodness, I'm looking forward to talking about it with Candace Hare at 10.30. Just some horse racing analysis for TVG. And another big thing going on is the PGA Championship. It's been something to behold the last few days. Why am I saying this? Some because of the fact that we've seen Brooks Kepka be an absolute monster. Opening day, first round, he goes off and has a phenomenal performance, setting a course record at Bethpage Black. The guy was doing that on the toughest course on the PGA Tour and the toughest course in the world in Bethpage Black. They say that this is just an absolute monster. He was doing it like nobody else. He's actually set a course record through 36 holes standing at 12 under with the closest person being seven strokes behind is Adam Scott, who is at five under. So basically, I think, you look at your boy Brooks Kepka. he's Gucci, bro. That's a seven iron. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Gucci. It's Gucci, Billy. That's good, Billy. That means it's good. And that is good, but what's bad is Tiger Woods, my goodness, he was absolutely awful in the first two rounds at Bethlehem Pitch Black. He missed out on the cut, and it wasn't pretty for him. And in there, and he can stay over there at five over at Bethlehem Pitch Black. 
He was in the red, so definitely not exactly the best look for him. And after the second round, he talked a little bit about how he's disappointed in the layoff since the Masters isn't an excuse for him. Well, I'm not playing the weekend, that's all. Uh, that's disappointing and just didn't quite, uh, just didn't quite have it. Thought uh, resting would be better, uh, so I'd have energy to play. You know, unfortunately, I just didn't uh, I made too many mistakes. Didn't do the little things I need to do. You know, I had a couple three putts. Uh, I didn't hit wedges close. Didn't hit any fairways today. Did a lot of little things wrong. And for the most part, I usually try and go three deep with this segment. I usually try and go with three things. Honestly, there's so much to get to this weekend. I'm at a couple more. One thing has to be, without a doubt, the Deontay Wilder-Dominic Brazil match. The big fight tonight. And this is going to be huge implications. I'm looking forward to it. Because it's definitely a fight that I feel like if Wilder wins, he needs to face off with Anthony Joshua in a big unification bout next. And in case you didn't know, I'm sure you didn't know, is that Wilder, has, he's turned out several offers in the past, citing that the fight definitely deserves a $100 million purse. And I say that you do whatever it takes to have these two guys face off because it's a lot like what me and Blaine Henry were talking about last week on Under the Dome was the fact that, you know, we want to see the best face the best, and you have two of the best heavyweights face off for supremacy for all the belts. I say this needs to happen. Bottom line, it's for the health of the sport because you have all these alphabet soup titles. There's too much going around. There's too much gold going around. Nobody really knows about who's who and who's holding what title. You have these guys unify them. It makes these fights mean a whole hell of a lot more down the line. I think that's definitely a big reason why I am looking forward to seeing what's going to happen tonight. Deontay Wilder, Dominic Brazil, that's going to be something you need to keep an eye on. Of course, Tyson Fury is another guy that I think you wind up seeing your boy Deontay Wilder had to face off against again. Because last year they wound up having a draw, but I feel like that's going to be something that happens after the Anthony Joshua fight. I think that's the next thing to happen. But, of course, I feel like the Wilder the Wilder Joshua fight is, needs to be next in line for that next big mega fight in 2020, I would say, hopefully, on Cinco de Mayo weekend because that's always going to be your best weekend for boxing, bottom line. And the last thing on tap this weekend, it's Astros-Red Sox. How can you not love watching two of the most recent World Series champs face off? I understand that when you look at the suboptimal performance this season for the Boston Red Sox, you might say, oh, hey, this team's not that great. They're they're a little bit under the weather. They're not going to wind up putting up much of a fight. Trust me, I have to say I'm looking forward to this So because it feels like we're going to see potentially an ALCS preview because it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I think the Boston Red Sox, they're going to make the right moves to really contend down the line. And I am just, like I said, I'm looking forward to this series this coming weekend for for the Houston Astros and Boston Red Sox, Astros, they want to win the opening ser- opening game of the series. And my goodness, Garrett Cole looked good. I'll give you some more details about that a little bit later on, but trust me, it was stressful for him throwing 99 pitches. Roberto Osuna comes up clutch. Definitely a huge step in the right direction. Today's game is going to be interesting. Corbin Martin getting his second start in the bigs. Can he control his emotions in a legendary park like Fenway? That's going to be the big thing. That I'm interested in heading into the night, but this weekend series is always going to be fun. And heck, we can do it again two weekends in a row with obviously the big big game being this weekend between those two, that three week three game set. And then, my goodness, I am just like I said, I'm looking forward to everything about this. 
But what's really awesome is the fact that we're going to see this happen again in just a few days. We're going to see this happen again. And that's the coolest part. We're going to see this happen yet again when it comes to the at the Minute Maid Park. Ben's going to be out there next Friday. And that's going to be really awesome stuff. But trust me, we've got a lot of cool stuff on tap for you coming up today on this wonderful Saturday morning. And trust me, it is a stacked lineup to say the least. I'm getting on four of my favorite people in the world. Let me give you the deets about who we got on before we take a quick commercial break. Starting things off, Eric Lopez talking college softball. Candace Hare talking Preakness. Taryn Wag, she's from Tuscaloosa, and she's been covering Deontay Wilder for a while. So why not talk to her about it, get a little preview of what's coming up inside the ring tonight. And then Jake Madison, Locked On Pelicans podcast. You know where we're going with this. Zion Williamson, AD, and a whole lot more. You need to listen in and don't miss a single minute. Tell your friends, tell your family. And then you need to listen in to Under the Dome with CD because, trust me, we are bringing the heat today. And, you know, I mentioned Eric Lopez. We're going to have him on next in this very next segment. Can't wait to do it because, trust me, it's going to be a fun, fun start to the show. Several interviews on tap. And trust me, you do not want to miss a single second of it. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 1037 The Game. Well, Mr. Burns had done it. The power plant had won it. With Roger Clemens clucking all the while. Mike Sosha's tragic illness made us smile While Wade Boggs lay unconscious on the barroom tile We're talking softball from Maine to San We are talking softball because it is time to get ready for the road to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And my goodness, it's going to be a fun one. And to do that, we got to, of course, go to the Arco Equipment Hotline to talk to our guy, our expert, when it comes to the world of Softball right here on Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. Eric Lopez, he writes for FastPitchNews.com and also the In the Circle podcast. I love this guy because he knows a lot about the world of softball. What's going on, my good brother? It's a great time of year. Postseason is here. And uh, one of the best days of the softball year is today where the field gets cut down from 64 to 32. So lots of drama will unfold today. A lot of drama. We already have a little bit of chaos. I talked about to start off the show. We have chaos in Austin, Texas, with Texas dropping one to Sam Houston State. Can they get out of that loser's bracket and try to make it a little bit more competitive on Saturday and try and avoid that elimination? I think they can. They have enough arms, clearly. That's not going to be the issue with Ellis and O'Leary and uh, Bollinger. The question is their offense. Their offense has sputtered a little bit, especially down the stretch. 
They couldn't get anything going against McLeod, who was the ace for Sam Houston State. That's my concern is offensively. I, you know, I watched them in Clearwater in person, and I just wasn't impressed with their bats. And clearly, you know, you got to give Mike White time to bring in more of his players' recruits, I think, to upgrade the offense and upgrade the depth there. That's the concern. The good news for them is, you know, you got Sam Houston State, Houston, and A&M, not the most firepower teams. So I think Texas can definitely come back, and just like they did in 2012. In 2012, Texas lost the opening game of their regional against Northwestern, came back to win that regional. So, yeah, I think they're capable of doing it, but they need to get their bats going early, especially against A&M, and get some confidence to build throughout the weekend. Otherwise, uh, I think they'll get knocked off in an upset. And I like Houston in that regard. I think Houston has just as good a pitching with Savannah Eatner and company, and they could pull the upset like they've done in 2011. So I'm talking right now with Eric Lopez in the Circle Podcast, getting ready for the road to Oklahoma City. Obviously, we were a couple days into the tournament. The one thing I think a lot of us in Cajun country have talked about is the fact that all 13 teams in the SEC made the field of 64, and that always feels like it's a big kind of talking point for everybody, is the fact that every SEC team winds up getting in the field. Why do we keep seeing that instead of like you have this, these last couple place teams, these bottom two teams not make the field of 64? Why do we keep seeing all SEC teams make it? Well, it's just a committee every year gives the SEC the benefit of the doubt. I wrote on Fast Pitch News in, in, leading up to the to the selection Sunday that 100 uh, of the last 147 teams. This is going back to 2005. Out of the last 147 teams that the SEC has had teams above uh, 500 or above, 141 of them have been uh, made it to the NCAA tournament. Every team that has been on the bubble with a 50 RPI or better, has gotten into the field since 2006. The last SEC team to have a 500 record or, or better and an RPI of 50 or better to miss the tournament was Mississippi State in 2006. So what that tells you is they give the benefit of the doubt to the SEC teams, and I think the reason is is because of the narrative of, well, every game is a tough series. And then they I think give the SEC credit. They've done a nice job marketing. Certainly the television package has helped. Um, but I, and I also think that for some weird reason, unlike other sports, softball rewards losing. <laughs> and it really does. Like Texas A&M basically got rewarded because they played eight, they lost a lot of games to a lot of quality teams. And it's just ridiculous. And no other sport would that happen. But that's the way the narrative is right now in this sport is right now the SEC gets the benefit of that where other leagues don't. And I think we'd have to agree, especially when you look at the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, 50 wins and four losses. What costs the Cajuns more in terms of being a regional host? Because I feel like you could put two things on there. The Sun Belt being absolutely awful this year or missing out on some marquee matchups with opponents like Oklahoma due to that kind of tournament being iced out. Well, you hit it on the head. Let's first start with the Sun Belt. Very bad year for the Sun Belt. Usually the Sun Belt is rated 6 to 7 range as far as the our top conferences in college softball according to the RPI this year they were ninth they had no other team in the league uh in the 50s usually you would have a couple teams in the 50s or better RPI wise usually you would have a second or a third team in the mix for the NCAA tournament that did not happen this year in the sub belt um, and the thing that hurt Louisiana, obviously, as you mentioned, by the way, was the non-conference schedule. A lot of things, uh, you know, Jerry, Jerry Glasgow talked about it in his press conference leading up to the regional. 
Uh, some of the things didn't break right. You mentioned the Oklahoma. They were supposed to play Oklahoma twice. Uh, weather only uh, forced it to only play once. They played Oregon State, who had a bad year this year. Uh, they played Cal twice, who Cal, first time this year, missed the NCAA tournament in 26 years. You can't predict that. Uh, but I expect Jerry, as Jerry mentioned in the press conference, he's going to, I think, schedule tougher. I think he's going to be more aggressive in the non-conference and not depend on the Sun Belt. I think that's a smart strategy. Unfortunately for them, this year, and this is a kind of a stat that I follow, usually a mid-major or a team like Louisiana, when they've hosted in the past, they have to have at least at a minimum nine wins against top 50 RPI teams to get in the resume. So when the Cajuns have hosted in the past, they've usually been in double digits in wins against the top 50. This year, Louisiana only ended up playing four games total, four games total against the top 50. That's why they didn't host. I like that. Talking right now with Eric Lopez, host of the In the Circle podcast, also writes for Fast Pitch News. And, you know, when you look at the Louisiana Raging Cages, we talk about how they could have been a regional host. There's a slim possibility. But my question to you is, was this the best draw for the Cages having this series against the Ole Miss Rebels instead of having to go to Baton Rouge again? That's a great question because you can make the argument this is uh, LSU is very vulnerable this year. They don't have the dominant pitching with Wall Jasper and Hoover. Uh, LSU's offense, which has been great most of the year, has been scuffling a little bit. So I'm a little worried about LSU. But you're right. I mean, Ole Miss, that's going to be a great matchup. That's the matchup I'm looking forward to the most when I saw the draw. I'm like, I want to see that matchup. The question is going to be is can Glasgow and the offense get going? You know what you're going to get from Summer Ellison. She, she's phenomenal. Uh, probably underrated, to be honest. She'll get more notoriety nationally for the, for what she's done with the Cajuns. They're leading that staff. And I think they're going to, she's going to give them a chance against Ole Miss. But my concern is, do they have enough offense? They've kind of scuffled. Even in the regional game against uh, Southeast Missouri, they didn't really pull away offensively. And even going back to the Sun Belt Championship game against Coastal Carolina, I was shocked that they only had a one nothing win. So I think they got a good draw in that regard with Ole Miss. But their offense has to get going if they want to beat the Rebels in Oxford more than likely twice, which is what they're going to have to do uh, to win the regional. Eric, you've got about another like 30 seconds left in this segment. Who's your dark horse for this entire tournament based off of what you've seen right now and probably, probably a little bit of personal bias as well because I know you definitely have a lot of eyes on some teams. Look, Alabama, based on seed, you have to say is a dark horse. They were absurdly seeded eighth. I think they're a dangerous team for Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's the clear favorite. Don't count out the national champions in Florida State. I think James Madison is a team that could upset Michigan and get to the Supers as an unseeded team. So look for that as a possible upset. Eric, I appreciate you coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. All right, boys. I always enjoy being on your show. All right, that was Eric Lopez. My man knows what he's talking about when it comes to college softball. Love having him on. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric Lopez, E-L-O. I guess it's that's his initials instead of it being Electric Light Orchestra. One day I'll, I'll ask that question. But we'll be right back in just a little bit. Take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be talking Preakness Stakes for entertainment purposes, of course, right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. Oh, wait, that's me. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things. 
even some soccer. Few Manchester United supporters. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And we were efforting to get on Candace Hare, who covers a lot of things involving horse racing. Not necessarily was able to get her live on the show, so definitely going to try. Hopefully, I told her to call call us up in the ARCO Equipment Hotline, 337-706-0111, so hopefully she calls us up and maybe we'll wind up talking a little bit of horse racing with her because it is a big day today. The Preakness Stakes going down today. Obviously, second leg of the Triple Crown, I mentioned at the top of the show, it is definitely going to be interesting whenever you consider the fact that you've got a field that is pretty wide open and when it comes to potential TV ratings and everything in between, I think everybody's... I, I Honestly, my opinion, I feel like everybody is a lot more intrigued about what's going on involving the world of horse racing. I think it's going to wind up being a lot more entertaining in the next couple of weeks because of the fact that you had the most controversial ending of a Kentucky Derby or any major triple crown race of all time back on May the 4th. And it's just my personal opinion here. I think that winds up helping out the sport of horse racing a lot more. Now, mind you, does it help it as much as, say, you have a big name coming like i think this is probably the best situation when you look at everything that is in front of you with the preakness stakes i love the fact that we're seeing controversy headed into the day when it comes to obviously no winner the first four horses that cross the finish line they're not even involved that's the first time since 1951 meaning it's wide open i think everybody would be a lot more interested to see who's going to wind up coming away with the win because there's no like outright clear winner right now. I'm kind of just looking at the odds improbable is probably the guy that's going to wind up being in front or the horse. I should say seven to two odds coming out of the four hole. And then you also got always mining also at seven to two odds. But of course you got to think about it. It's not exactly apples to oranges from last time. He's now you've got a lot of guys no longer a part of the race Obviously, the one that everybody was looking forward to isn't going to be part of the Triple Crown at all because of the injury that he's that he that that horse suffered prior to the Kentucky Derby with that epiglottis, which is a word that I still am amazed it was used in 2019. But it's that and a whole lot more whenever you look at obviously what's going on with horse racing right now. I'm looking forward to seeing this this horse race go down. I don't know about you. I feel like there's probably a few people who aren't nearly as excited as I am just because of the controversy. And I understand that I can get behind where you're coming from on that, but I'll say this, what I'm seeing with the Preakness stakes, I got to say, I'm interested because I feel like I would much rather see, you know, wait a few years or so before the next triple crown winner happens. If you want to win in those first two legs, that creates a lot more interest. And then the third one, if he comes up short, it's like, you know, we're going to have to wait another year to see it. I'm just a person who likes to see things happen with a little bit less like recurrence. I don't want to see it just happen every single year, a triple crown. 
because that just doesn't do anything for me. I'd much rather see every body involved kind of have every year. You don't know who's going to wind up coming away with it. It's definitely makes it definitely makes things a lot more interesting down the line. I love seeing like these team these guys compete every single year. But I mentioned at the top of the show about the fact you've got a lot of controversy surrounding horse racing, and you always do. You always have those kind of controversies popping up. But you know, you definitely had some sad news come out of the racetrack yesterday with a filly and congrats gal dying on the track just after the Miss Preakness stakes on Friday, putting another black eye on the sport after some of the things that happened last earlier this year, back in the winter and early spring in California with several horses dying in the winter and early spring. That's just a, it's another sore eye on a sport that definitely has already gotten some, honestly, with the controversial finish with the Kentucky Derby, the disqualification, the suspension, the owners wanting to sue the Kentucky Derby. It is an entire thing. And honestly, I love the controversy. I understand it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but trust me, it's a lot more entertaining to talk about that than it is to talk about, you know, a, horse trying to go trying to win that second leg of the Kentucky Derby. Now you've got a potential second straight race where it's wide open. You have a long shot wind up winning this thing. And if you're a big fan of sports betting for certain purposes and you enjoy kind of following it, this is something awesome. This is something that doesn't happen all that often. And I can't wait to see what happens next whenever you look at the future of horse racing with that. Obviously, the controversy that happened yesterday at Pimlico. Is Pimlico still going to be the place to be for the Preakness Stakes? Because I was overhearing yesterday Jordy had on Michael Baychock, and he talked a little bit about that, about the potential of the famous horse race being moved somewhere else. But I think Baltimore, the city of Baltimore, is trying to block that out and avoid moving it because it feels like it's an iconic venue, but it needs to have a whole lot of renovations when you look at Pimlico in the second jewel of the Triple Crown, because obviously Kentucky's just Kentucky. It's an iconic venue, and then of, then the Belmont. I think Pimlico is the one that everybody just wants to kind of see it be moved around somewhere else because it's just it's tough to put something in there. It's rough. I mean, you're expecting record high attendances according to the reports today, but honestly, how are you going to see all these people? Because it's going to be packed house. And some of the seating isn't going to be there for everybody. I think that's something else that a lot of people need to kind of keep an eye on going forward. But honestly, I'm just looking forward to it all the way around because it's going to be a whole lot of fun to see who's going to wind up winning, how things are going to wind up going. That's something that I'm honestly looking forward to. And, of course, I mentioned at the top of the show as well, kind of just recap some stuff, obviously, I'd say check out our Twitter poll at 1037 The Game because this thing is popping off out of the three polls under the dome has put up. This one has been the big dog, and that is which trade partner should the Pelicans work with to trade Anthony Davis if Anthony Davis still wants to be traded after getting the number one draft pick in the lottery and likely getting the services of Zion Williamson, which is a whole other rant that I'll get to later on in the show. And, of course, right now, Boston Celtics leading that, and it's pretty much not even close. 57% go on Boston, 32% go on New York Knicks, and 11% and almost certain Gail Benson didn't vote in this poll 
going Los Angeles Lakers because Gail Benson put it best over my dead body to the Los Angeles Lakers. And I hope she did not kind of crawfish it and backpedal that one because that's just it's such a good drop. I wish she said it and there was video proof of it because I would love to just drop that every single time when talking about the Los Angeles Lakers because they are just an absolute bleep show. And again, I'm going to save some of that for the 11 o'clock hour, for that 11 o'clock crowd. So if you want to hear me rant and rave like I did last weekend about LSU baseball, that's the time you need to listen in to hear me go completely AWOL, go completely ape on the world of sports. I'm just honestly so excited to talk about it. And then, of course, like I said, some other things, some of the news and notes, obviously the PGA Championship going on this weekend. My goodness, Brooks Kepka, an absolute monster, 36-hole record, also 18-hole record. I am just loving every minute of it when it comes to Brooks Kepka. It'd be great if Tiger Tiger Woods, y'all, was involved in this, but honestly, you know, we can do without it this go around because guess what? You got a really cool story. Brooks Kepka just completely dominating a course that's not necessarily like a easy course to play at. I feel like some of these courses you could probably be dominant at, but I feel like this one is far from it. And Brooks Kepka, even he felt like he wasn't at his best in round number two. Today was a battle. I did not. Uh, I did not hit it very well today. I was fighting a bit of a, uh, uh, just a block. Um, you know, I, I'm still putting really well and uh, hit my lines and feel very comfortable over these putts, which is uh, which is big. If you're having trouble, like if you're struggling in day two and you have a five under and able to secure a twelve under through round two at Bethpage Black for the PGA Championship, I want to know what a what a bad day really is for you because that's that's pretty damn good. And, of course, he actually has a seven-stroke lead with Adam Scott way behind at five under. So it's pretty much Brooks Kepka versus the field at this point. Feels like Kepka's trying to go wire to wire. Horsing turn right there. And here's him talking about having that seven-stroke lead. I mean, I feel good. I mean, especially the way I battled today, yeah, to not have it and get that score out. I'm very proud of myself. Uh, I fought hard. But, you know, I, I feel great and uh, just need to continue on the weekend. I think that's definitely what he want, wants to wind up doing going forward is have a setup in place to where he can succeed and be able to put himself in the right position to win the PGA Championship. And even Tiger Woods is just loving seeing what Brooks Koepka has done. He pretty much put it best. He's been amazing. He's driving 330 yards in the middle of the fairway. He's got nine irons when most of us are hitting five irons, four irons. And he's he's putting well. And so, you know, that adds up to a, a pretty substantial lead. And if he keeps doing what he's doing, um, there's no reason why he can't build on this lead. In other words, his golf swing looks good. The course looks good. I, he likes his chances. See what I did there, a little Tiger Bot reference there. Absolutely enjoying what's going on with the PGA Championship. It's probably something that not many people are talking about. It's a little more low-key. But trust me, this is something you need to keep an eye on going forward. It is, simply put, outstanding. You know, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break, bail out of the segment a little earlier than I wanted to, but trust me, we got a lot more to get to on Under the Dome with CD. 11.15, we'll have Taryn Wackaboard I'll talk a little boxing, Wilder, Wilder, Brazil. I can't wait for that fight tonight. That's going to be a big one. And then 11.30, we'll talk some New Orleans Pelicans with Jake Madison. And I'm definitely looking forward to just the rest of the show. It's always fantastic on a Saturday afternoon under the dome with CD. 
We got more after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Back to Under the Dome with CD. That's me, right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. You know, I've wanted to do this segment for a while, and that is rounding the bases. Kind of give you an idea of what's going on in the world of baseball, be it Major League College or even high school baseball. Of course, high school baseball just wrapped up. This is something I've always wanted to do. It's just never quite had the time to be able to pull it off. And you know what? Now that's now it's kind of me flying solo dolo. I don't have to bounce back and forth on topics with somebody. I'm going to kind of handle the show a little bit differently. So we're going to have some fun here and round the bases. First things first, LSU beats Auburn 7-1. to one. I think this is undoubtedly a big highlight. Marceau fires to the plate. High fastball, swing and a miss. Davis down on strikes. And Landon Marceau records his seventh strikeout of the night. And Landon Morso was feasting, flipping the script and flipping the switch, allowing one run off of two hits. And that was all Auburn could do in that loss last night. Awesome stat, by the way, from Todd Politz, LSU's stat machine. LSU recorded consecutive two hitters or better for the first time since March 8th and 11th in 1989 when Curtis Leskinick, I guess that's how you pronounce it, then, of course, I know how to pronounce this one, Ben McDonald, friend of 103.7 The Game, on with Jordy on the regular. He threw a pair of one-hitters. Both of those guys threw a pair of one-hitters versus UNO and Florida on March 8th and 11th of 1989. Who's to say midweek games don't matter? Ask those guys all the way back in 89. And then LSU, they locked down the number five seed. We'll play Tuesday versus the number 12 seed, which is a cluster and a half right now when you look at things. Because right now, you've got three teams at the very bottom, and they have the same exact conference record. And that's really what matters when it comes to winning percentages. I haven't done any tiebreakers or what have you. But right now, it's either going to be South Carolina, Kentucky, or Alabama. They're all at the bottom of the conference, sitting at 7-22. and 22. I'm not going into scenarios. haven't just done all the research on it because, honestly, it's kind of hard to keep tabs on every little thing when it comes to this. But, of course, South Carolina, Kentucky, Alabama – those are going to be the three potential opponents for LSU when they're the five seed taking on the 12 seed. And also, it seems like LSU's locked down a regional host seed. And honestly, I'd have more confidence in that if they can win a couple games in the SEC tourney. The Cajuns, on the other hand, they wound up rallying late to force extra innings and came away with a 13-9 win, five runs in the 10th inning to even up the series against Yoel Monroe. This is the third time the Cajuns have had at least four homers at a contest this year, and the first assistant recorded four against Arkansas State on April the 6th. Hat tip to baseball SID, the good brother Josh Brunner. The Cajuns also hit seven dingers against Yoel Monroe in this series. That's impressive. Hopefully they can keep those bats hot this afternoon, first pitch at noon, and also keep them hot headed into the Sun Belt Conference Tournament. They'll be starting on Tuesday 
and they'll be starting things off on Tuesday. No idea of who their starter could be, but trust me, it's something you need to keep an eye on as they get ready to kind of head on over to Conway, South Carolina to begin the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, likely going to be leaving as soon as that UL Monroe game is done. Going to catch that flight out to Myrtle Beach. And they'll likely be paired off with App State. That's going to be a 6.30 p.m. estimated time. When you look at LSU, that'll be the nightcap game. God knows when that game is going to start, if at all, on Tuesday. That's that's just the bare bones of it. This one can wind up being played at like 8 o'clock at night. Nobody knows right now. And then i got to say, you know, we got to look at the Houston Astros. They beat the Red Sox series opener 3-1. to one, And I, I think one of the big things coming out of that is a MLB record was broken by Ryan Presley. Swing and a bouncer off the plate. Right side, fielded by Presley. Off balance, though, to first while falling backwards and going into a tumble, and it's in time. Oh, my goodness, Ryan Presley can do no wrong. That is That was an outstanding play, and if you want to kind of check out the highlight reels, it is definitely a top 10 worthy play. I loved every second of it when I saw Ryan Presley do that. 39, consecu- 39 scoreless appearances, I should say. 39 scoreless appearances. And that is impressive. That's a, an MLB record passing Craig Kimbrell for the record. 39 consecutive scoreless appearances. That's definitely some cool stuff. Looking at the MLB at large, I have to say this was pretty cool. Chris Bryant. Three home runs. He did it in the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. Bryant hits a high fly ball to left. Going back is Soto. Back to the left field wall. This ball is going to be gone. Cubs go back to back. Chris Bryant, second of the night. And he is the 12th player in MLB history to hit a home run in three straight innings. And the final little bit of news and notes involving the world of baseball is Vandy, they clinched a share of the SEC title last night with an extra inning win over Kentucky. Definitely an impressive way to kind of wrap up the season for those Commodores national champions in their own right. And they're all, that's probably the one spot that the state of Tennessee likes Vanderbilt. That is probably the best time to be a Vanderbilt fan is when baseball is in full swing. I'd have to think about that. Here's something really cool that just popped up on my feed. Baseball is marking the opening of the Marucci Performance Center. Today they had a ribbon-cutting ceremony at Alec Box Stadium, Skip Burtman Field. It's a performance center, which is connected to the hitting facility behind the right field wall of the stadium. And I have to say, this is just positively beautiful, and it's finally kind of getting wrapped up. And I can about imagine that could help out a lot of the ill wills, maybe help kind of get these guys ready and build up some endurance on these guys because I would love to see a team last an entire season without having to worry about injuries. I'm sure everybody else listening within the earshot of my voice would absolutely love to see a team not have as many injuries, but honestly, they've turned things around when you look at LSU after my kind of rant. I'm not sure if they listened in to 1037 the game through the mobile app powered by Visit Avery Island. Hopefully they did, because trust me, it is a fantastic place to listen to us live and also listen to us on demand. You can listen to us on demand through there as well. Hey, you also have the podcast available on iTunes, whatever podcast gimmick you want. I'm using because we like you like that. It's some really cool stuff. And honestly, just enjoying what's going on this weekend. Obviously, you got the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals. Not necessarily have been entertained by that, so I'm not going to bore you with the minutia about that. 
But we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. Again, hour number one, it is in the books, ladies and gentlemen. At 11.15, Taryn Wack to talk some boxing. I can't wait to talk about some boxing. Wilder, Brazil, I can't wait for that fight. And then, obviously, Jake Madison, Locked On Pelicans podcast. We're going to talk a lot about the current state of affairs when you look at the New Orleans Pelicans, Zion Williamson going to NOLA, and a whole lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome, everyone, to our number two of Under the Dome with the famous CD live inside the 237 Roof Studios presented by Lafayette Roofing. From the roof to the roots of Acadia, they got you covered. Just call them up, 237-ROOF, 237-7663. Of course, if you want to call us up, the Arco Equipment Hotline, it is wide open, me amigos, 337-706-0111. If you want to chat me up about a lot of stuff, and trust me, we got a lot to talk about. And of course, our number two starts off with a little bit more of talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. And my goodness, they are looking really, really good right now after winning the draft lottery. We'll talk about it a lot more in depth with our guy, Jake Madison, Locked on Pelicans podcast. Can't wait to talk to him about that and a whole lot more in hour number two. But of course, the big poll question, which has something to do with the future of the Pels, is which trade partner should the Pelicans work with to trade Anthony Davis? And this one, I have to say, it's definitely been quite hot, and that is... The Boston Celtics has been the choice du jour, 53%, 32% the Knicks, 15% the Los Angeles Lakers. And honestly, you've heard me before, I'll say it again, as much as I hated the original idea of Anthony Davis going to Boston, I love it now because guess what? You can wind up probably building something that can win now rather than, oh, hey, you know, oh, we're going to build for the future with Kevin Knox and the number four pick. Or number three pick, excuse me. Number four is the Lakers, which won't happen. I'm sorry to the 15 percenters. Clearly, you know, Gail Benson isn't voting on this Twitter poll. But I am absolutely in favor of trading him to the Boston, trading Anthony Davis to the Boston Celtics for that one year. They can do whatever the hell he wants after that. This is That would be the smart move because guess what? You can wind up getting a guy like Marcus Smart, a Tatum, to pair with Zion Williamson, with Drew Holiday with an Alfred Payton. That's a strong group of guys. I would honestly love to see him with that rather than, you know, build towards the future with an R.J. Barrett, a Zion Williamson, and a Kevin Knox who has been completely trash in his opening year. That's the big thing for me. I'm not all in on the New York Knicks being the answer to the situation. Don't let them control it. I'd much rather get some guys that can win now rather than guys who maybe, just maybe could win. R.J. Barrett seems like a damn good player. Don't get me wrong. It feels like he's at that top level. But you look at the NBA draft and the scouts and the prospects, 
they're slim. The t- beyond the top three, you're not going to get a bona fide player and a bona fide stud. I think number two, John Morant. That's going to be the one that I can't wait to see what he does in the NBA because he's going to be a player. I think he's going to wind up making himself an all-star multiple times over. When you look at Zion Williams, he's a generational talent. And I feel like you need to be able to have a lot of guys around him, and that would be huge for the future of this franchise, to have Zion Williamson long-term and have a nucleus around him that can win consistently, especially in the wild, wild west, that could get a lot more wild next year. He is Kevin Durant. He's probably out the door. He's probably on his, on his way out. And honestly, we're seeing right now, the Warriors don't need Kevin Durant, and I'm absolutely loving every second of it. But the thing that's definitely been burning my beans, grinding my gears, that's overall frustrating me to no end as a fan of the Pelicans and a fan of Louisiana sports in general is the national media and how they don't want to see Zion Williamson over there. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of the hot take city that goes on with the worldwide leader, how they were saying he got run over by a truck when he found out that he was going to be going to New Orleans. Honestly, watch the reaction video. Watch it and watch it again. He does not look like he's, oh, man, I'm going to New Orleans. Oh, no. He looks like he's pretty happy. He's, guess what? He's going somewhere that could probably wind up winning now rather than New York and Los Angeles where everybody wanted it to be. Guess what? They did not win enough, and I don't think Zion Williamson can be the cure-all for a New York Knicks team that hasn't won an NBA title since 1973 and hasn't been to the NBA Finals since 1999, where kind of the most underrated dynasty of all time, the San Antonio Spurs, began with their first of five NBA titles under Greg Popovich. And, of course, we got to talk about the hot take machine that is Fox Sports, and I'm not going to name him by name, but I think you know exactly who I'm talking about, and that is the Sheldon Cooper of Sports Talk. Yes, I'm going there, and I'm calling him the Sheldon Cooper of Sports Talk because he acts like he's holier than thou and smarter than everybody else in the room whenever he's clearly not. He doesn't know what he's talking about with some situations. He's saying the Pelicans are a bad front office? Are you kidding me? You just saw you saw Magic Johnson resign after the first year with LeBron, and they're not going to look for another GM, another head guy. They're just having Rob Palenka take over, but he's going to report directly to ownership. So basically, he's their little, you know, he's on the leash. And it's not a good look for the Lakers right now. The front office and the Knicks ain't much better. And again, you can't ha- say right now, Zion Williamson is the absolute cure-all for those two franchises. Zion Williamson can't be the cure-all for, mo- for like all 30 teams in the NBA and their ills. You need to have Zion Williamson paired up with the right guys at the right place at the right time with a front office that knows what they're doing. If you had Dell Demp still in charge and you had Zion Williamson, then I'd say, yeah, like trade me. Because guess what? That That's a dumpster fire and a half right there. I am just absolutely frustrated with what we've seen as of late with the media, how they're hating on Louisiana sports, and more specifically, New Orleans. I was looking at something the other day, and this amazed me. The fact that we have the... NFL.com put out a story yesterday about the New Orleans Saints about how they're the seventh most complete team in the league. Think about that statement. Most complete team in the league. Now, who are some of these other teams ahead of them? Well, in order. 
the Chargers, the Rams, the Browns, the Colts, the Chiefs, and the Cowboys. Just looking at the number one. That's a franchise that may be one of the few teams in the league when you look at the Saints that doesn't have a hole in any position. You've got a great tight end in Jared Cook. Your offensive line is pretty damn good. Eric McCoy can wind up making that a whole lot better. It's just frustrating to me as a fan of Louisiana sports. They don't get as any love at all whenever you look at things. And the Chargers are the most complete team. I'm sorry, but an aging quarterback and a star wide receiver that's probably past his prime in Keenan Allen doesn't scream to me most complete team. The Rams might, but how do you put the Saints at number seven and also the Patriots at number nine? I think that's just my personal opinion there. But again, you know, you're seeing everybody yell off the top of the rooftops in national media saying, hey, they want to see a star to play for the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers because they love to have Williamson be in a major market because, in their minds, one player will change everything in a franchise, and he will not change a thing. They will still be awful. They will still be awful. I don't know why they think that. It is ridiculous whenever you look at that. The state of New York hasn't necessarily been great in sports in what feels like almost a decade. You know, you got the Bills, the Giants, the Jets, the Rangers, the Islanders, the Nets. Need I go on? The state of New York is just absolutely awful. I'm frustrated with the way national media looks at New Orleans, looks at Louisiana, says that it's a bad place to play. It's a bad it's a bad market. It's a small market, don't get me wrong. It's a smaller market than a Los Angeles, a New York, a Houston, a Dallas. But trust me on this. That's a place you want to play at. If you want to win now, and I feel like if you ask 9 out of 10 players that are going to be go, heading into the NBA draft, the 2019 draft class, they want to play for a winner. You know why? Because that's the way the NBA is set up now. You want to be with the winners. You want to be with the greats. You want to be paired up with guys like a Steph Curry, like a LeBron James. Mind you, I think the front office is the biggest bleep show in the world. I feel like that's one thing that you don't want to deal with. That's why Monty Williams is with the Phoenix Suns, and that's definitely a step down and a half right there. I just have to say, this is what's the most frustrating thing part to me whenever you look at the New Orleans Pelicans in the State of the Union and how the national media is frustrated. They don't see us as being viable. They'd probably love to see the New Orleans Pelicans trade off Anthony Davis, sell the team, and move it to Seattle or Las Vegas. They would absolutely love that. I'm sorry, that is not going to happen, and I'm so glad. And one of the biggest things that's been kind of grinding my gears and burning me up and making me hot and almost working myself into a shoot here, is the fact that there's there's guys all throughout the rest of the year after the Zion shoe blowout incident saying, hey, Zion, you know, take the rest of the season off and focus on the NBA. These are the same guys that are telling him to pass up on $10 million. You heard me right, $10 million. That's how much he's going to make in the NBA, $10 million. And you mean to tell me that you want him to pass that up to basically wait another year to make that money, whenever you could have another big injury potentially happen, and he's not going to see a dime? You got to be kidding me. You got to be joking me. It is just absolutely ridiculous that we're talking about Zion Williamson not playing in the NBA in 2019 2020 season, telling him to go take a year off, go back to Duke, go get it, go, go further your education. I'm sorry, but if you're in the NBA, 
and you're playing you're in college basketball, you're playing at Duke, you're playing at Kentucky, two teams that love, absolutely love the one and done rule. Brother, you're going over there solely to get that one year in, and then you go to the NBA. Zion Williamson would have probably been the number one pick out of high school. You heard me right, out of high school. I would not be surprised if that happened. I absolutely love what I've seen from Zion Williamson, his stepfather saying the right things, doing the right things, telling us this guy is going to be the future of the franchise, and he's excited to come to New Orleans. We're not talking about a guy that's a malcontent and wants to be traded like Eli Manning, who had a lot of privilege because of the fact of his daddy being Archie Manning and and his brother being Peyton Manning. You wouldn't have seen that with anybody else. Sure, John Elway, you know, who... I honestly, that old John Elway thing, it's that's apples to oranges, just like the Eric Lendros situation that I'm, uh, you know, Sheldon Cooper brought up over on Fox Sports Radio. I am absolutely frustrated with national media to a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm wiping my hands clean of this. And you know what? Y'all can have fun with this. And I absolutely love the fact that the draft lottery did what it needed to do. It's fixed. But not in the way... You're thinking it's not fixed as in rigged like pro wrestling, even though that's predetermined. It is repaired. It's no longer broken to where you have to see teams trust the process and take every single year. What Adam Silver did with this new setup, 14% chance for the top three, for the bottom three teams, the NBA draft lottery to win and giving the Pels a 6% chance again. Brother, this is huge for the future of the NBA because it makes it sense. You know, why embrace tanking whenever you can embrace having talents and make sure the true jabronis of the NBA don't waste talents like Zion Williamson. This guy is a generational talent. He would be mired in mediocrity if he's with the New York Knicks or the Los Angeles Lakers. That's the bottom line. And I'm done with it. I'm taking a quick commercial break because, my goodness, I am hot. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, try to calm down. And then we'll talk some boxing with Taryn Wack of Tuscaloosa News. Can't wait to talk to her about the big fight tonight and a whole lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Also, Jake Madison, 1130. We'll talk to Zion Williamson some more. Every time C.D. takes the mic, is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with C.D. on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And my goodness, one of my favorite things to do is talk some fighting. My goodness. And we've got a big boxing match on tap for tonight. And that is Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil. And my goodness, this is going to be a great fight tonight. And I'm going to talk about it with somebody who definitely has had a first-hand perspective of covering the man himself, the Bronze Bomber. And we go to the Arco Equipment Hotline right now to talk with Taryn Wack of Tuscaloosa News, also covers the Alabama Crimson Tide. We'll try to keep that away for at least today. We're going to talk about that big fight tonight. Taryn, what's going on? 
Not much. He's chilling in New York right now. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good right here in Lafayette, Louisiana, live inside the 237 Roof Studios presented by Lafayette Roofing. You're in New York City getting ready for a monster fight. Dominic Brazil, it's a mandated opponent. Now, for those who aren't necessarily all up on the fight game, can you explain to us what exactly does that mean, a mandated opponent? Was there a certain time frame between title matches that he has to defend it? Yeah, so I actually um, talked to the WBC president along with some other people to fully understand what went into that, and that was like my main story breaking it all down today that ran in the Tuscaloosa News. So it's very complex, so I won't get too into it because it would take a while. <laughs> um, but basically, Dominic Brazil has been waiting around for about a year at this point. The title holder has to defend his belt against a mandatory challenger at least once a year. There are exceptions to that, like say if the Tyson Fury rematch had gone through, they would have made Dominic Brazil wait and fight someone else in the meantime, like an interim championship. But um, the way a mandatory is chosen is the WBC has a convention every year, and like people are able to say, I want my fighter to be the challenger, like he deserves it, and they come out with the rankings. Like Obviously, there are people who've been watching all the heavyweights fight, and whatnot so they have an idea of who's capable and then they'll be like oh you have to fight this guy and then the winner of this is the mandatory challenger so dominic brazil definitely earned his place to be this guy like i know i was like at first okay why him why this guy like is he good or is it just who he has to fight was he just randomly picked so it's definitely an interesting process so it's like a culmination of quality fights and wins and then also the convention and the politics behind it all that picked him. Talking right now with Taryn Wack of Tuscaloosa News, also covers the Alabama Crimson Tide with Tide Sports. And uh, my goodness, you know, Dante Wilder has definitely caused a little controversy, almost emulating Ivan Drago with the if he dies, he dies statement heading into this big fight. What's kind of the vibe going on heading into this fight after those kind of statements were, were doled out? So this is all of this is very true. What's different about this fight is, like, when Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder were promoting theirs, there was an obvious respect between the two. Deontay was like, good for him for coming back. And Tyson would be like, wow, he earned this and whatnot. This time, the hatred and, like, animosity between these two is real because there was, like, a scuffle between them about a year ago in Birmingham, Alabama, where families were involved and whatnot. And it's a lot of he said, he said, and we all know there's three sides to every story. But because there were families involved that's obviously making anything touchy, children, girlfriends, wives, and whatnot, brothers, sisters, and such. So they have kind of kept that bottled up, and tonight they get to put their hands on each other finally and legally. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that's the big reason why we wound up hearing that from Deontay Wilder, saying that basically this only sport where you could probably – kill a guy and and, be, and get away with it, basically, is kind of what the gist of his comments were earlier this week in the press conference. But looking at looking at this fight tonight, who do you think has the edge between Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil? So I have to make a prediction for the paper, and I really don't like predictions because they always come and bite <laughs> you back in the butt. But mm-hmm. I have Wilder winning by knockout in eight. I some A lot of people don't think it'll go that long. But I don't know. I wouldn't. Like, as I said before, Dominic Brazil earned this spot. Like, I wouldn't completely underestimate him. Some people have been like, this is a trap fight. Like, if you overlook it, it could be bad. And, like, 
Deontay, I don't think, is overlooking it because of the personal history. I do think that helps a lot in his case. And, yeah, he's angry. But what I'm interested to see is, obviously, when he fought Fury, his fundamentals got away from him. And, like he said, he stripped himself down in this training camp and focused on the basics. So I think he's looking to prove himself in that way. Like, everyone thinks he's just a wild right hand with a power punch. Like, he should be able to show that he's more than that. And that's why I think it'll go a little longer. And then Dominic Brazil obviously has been on the big stage before. He fought Anthony Joshua trying to get the IBF belt. He lost in seven rounds, but he said he learned more from that loss than any of his wins. So I think he has to prove himself in that he's capable of winning these big fights. I think it'll be a good one. Talking right now with Taryn Wack. You can follow her on Twitter at Taryn Victoria. And, you know, you brought you brought me to an interesting point here. You brought up Anthony Joshua. That was kind of where I wanted to go to next because what's next for Deontay Wilder, the man who's pretty much conquered almost everybody. You've obviously had the Tyson Fury fight having, being a draw last year. That could wind up being something considered next year. But do we see the Anthony Joshua fight kind of start being rumored after this fight, win, lose, or draw for Wilder? I feel like that fight's going to be rumored for decades and decades. <laughs> like they're going to retire, and it's like, but they're going to come back. Um, I don't, I don't see it happening this year. I think they all have things they have to work out and whatnot. If Deon, what would the worst case for Deontay obviously is him losing because he can come back. Yeah. Like he can get a, he'll have a rematch clause and whatnot, and can get his titles back. But that significantly pushes the timeline back for these big fights. I do think he'll want a rematch with. Tyson Fury, and um, obviously Anthony Joshua is the main goal because Deontay's biggest desire is to unify all the belts and unify the division, but I don't see that happening this year. It'll definitely be talked about and whatnot, but with the way schedules are lining up, I think it might take more time to build that and work it out. I don't agree with you. There's so much that goes behind. I have to agree. It definitely is going to be a lot to get behind it because uh, they want a hundred million dollars for this purse, and honestly, they should just give it to him because I feel like this is that would be the best thing for the health of boxing to unify these belts and have the two best heavyweight boxers in the world face off. It'd be it'd be just that thing that probably wind up helping boxing stay alive a lot more. In my in my views. It's actually really interesting because I talked to Al Bernstein for my story, and he's an International Boxing Hall of Fame analyst. And he was saying how there's normally two or three guys on top of the heavyweight division. Like, the biggest thing is they do need to fight each other eventually. That that will be the biggest miss in the sport if they don't. But this is not abnormal to have guys, multiple of them, being out there and doing their own thing because as – we all know the belts are all individual. Like the IBF probably has its own mandatory challengers. The WA has it. WBA has its own mandatory challengers. Now WBC, like they have to handle their own business. And so it's not like, it's not as simple as we want to fight. That's it. Obviously we've seen that, <laughs> that it doesn't, it isn't as simple as that. We wish it was, but there's so much more behind it. But like, I think, as long as they fight each other, it is a risk putting fights in between, but the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. Taryn, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Maybe we'll talk some Alabama football next time. Oh, boy. It's getting close. Yes, Don't it mention is. it. <laughs> I appreciate it, Taryn. All right. Thank you so much. All right. That was Taryn Wack. You can follow her on Twitter once again. Taryn 
Victoria, T-E-R-R-I-N. We go ahead and take a quick commercial break. Be back with Jake Madison, Locked on Pelicans. Can't wait to break it all down with him. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And my goodness, it's been a wild week for fans of the New Orleans Pelicans. It all kind of started on Tuesday night getting the number one pick in the NBA Draft Lottery. 6% chance. It feels like deja vu because we've seen it before back when Anthony Davis was the number one pick. Back in 2012, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Pels right now on the Arco Equipment Hotline. Talk with Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. What's going on, man? Not too much. Thanks for having me on today. I'm glad to have you on the show today. And my goodness, again, like I said, it feels like deja vu how we have one franchise player on their way out. You look at Chris Paul, him getting traded away, and then right out not long after, you get Anthony Davis to fall in your lap. Now Zion Williamson, a generational talent, kind of falls in your lap. What's, what was kind of the reaction around New Orleans? Obviously, people are buying tickets left and right. Have they sold out yet? You know, uh, they, I don't think they've sold out yet, but the last I heard they had sold over 3,500 new season tickets in about a 24-hour period. And you compare that to 2012 when they only sold about 1,000 after the Pelicans jumped up to number one overall to be able to draft Anthony Davis. It shows you how people are excited here, how basketball culture has grown in New Orleans, and maybe it isn't just a football town. Uh, but it's just pure excitement. This is kind of exactly what the franchise needed to kind of reinvigorate itself. All of a sudden, you went from a team that had fired its general manager, that had its star wanting out and requesting a trade, to getting the best guy you could to lead your team going forward, and to getting the number one overall pick. It's pretty much a 180 for the franchise. Puts them kind of from an also-ran franchise in the NBA to one kind of at the forefront of where you want to be and what you'd want to be involved with going forward. So it's been a good couple of days here for the Pelicans in New Orleans. I can about imagine the vibes over in New Orleans. They are positively fantastic. Because you have to imagine this team, this franchise, is looking forward to seeing what they can get out of, obviously, possibly Anthony Davis. We're going to start things off there. What are the percent chances in your mind, after Tuesday's events, that we see Anthony Davis return to the Pelicans and stay on for the 2019-2020 season? I, I think it's still very low. I'd say it's less than 5% that he's here next year. You know, it sounds like he's been resolute in wanting to trade away from this franchise since he made that initial request. You know, David Griffin coming in hasn't changed that. Getting the number one overall pick hasn't changed that. And the reason I'm not giving it a 0% chance is because he is 
taking a meeting with David Griffin and some others within the Pelicans organization in the next week or so. And if he was so resolute in not wanting to leave, if he didn't want to come back whatsoever, why even waste your time meeting with these people? But he is, and he is going to meet with them. And I think that's at least a sign that maybe somehow there's a way he could return. I don't think it's likely whatsoever, so I would not expect to see him back here in New Orleans next year. It just feels like to me this whole meeting that you're talking about, it's basically going to be David Griffin saying, are you all in or all out? And if he's all in, he'll stay aboard. But more likely than not, we'll be hearing he's all out. Which brings me to my next question. It was a big poll question that we have up on Twitter right now. Which trade partner should the Pelicans work with to trade Anthony Davis? Of course, this is if he winds up being wanting, still wanting to be traded. Who should the Pelicans work with to try and get the most out of? You know, so what was great about the lottery night was not just that the Pelicans won the number one overall pick. It's the way it broke for other teams. The Lakers landing the fourth overall pick with the Knicks dropping to three. And it means there's more trade partners with very good offers for New Orleans now in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes. And you kind of just evaluate, you know, what you like out there and choose the best one. There's some things to keep in mind, though, because there's three main suitors right now. You've got the the Boston Celtics with Jason Tatum, with Jalen Brown, and a number of draft picks that you could request back here. That gives you guys who have been in the NBA, who've played in the playoffs, and who have shown they're capable of being solid rotation guys to pair alongside Drew Holiday and Zion Williamson next year. Maybe that gets you back into the playoffs sooner rather than later while also having some draft picks for the future. You have the New York Knicks offer, which would be a full-blown youth movement, trading for the third overall pick. Maybe a guy like Kevin Knox, also players like Dennis Smith Jr. or guys like Alonzo Trier or from New Orleans, a guy like Mitchell Robinson, too. That's an option. And then you have the Los Angeles Lakers with, you know, uh, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, and the fourth overall pick. So it really just kind of depends on which package of assets you like the most, and that's the move that you try and make. One thing to really keep in mind with all these are second contracts coming up for players. Brandon Ingram's going to need to get paid after next season. Same for Jalen Brown. Those are all a bit of a concern because you don't want to bloat your salary cap. You want to have as much flexibility going forward. And all of a sudden, paying those guys off of their rookie-scale contracts complicates that a little bit. So it's something that the Pelicans are also going to have to factor in when they look at the best trade partner for AD. Talking right now with Jake Madison, Locked On Pelicans podcast. If there's anybody that covers the Pelicans better than him, I'd love to see it especially when you consider the fact it feels like the national media, the national perspective is nobody covers him. In fact, Will Gillery of The Athletic, friend of the program as well, he was called just some guy from The Athletic. Yeah, it was kind of funny to see that. I think he took it kind of more as a joke and in yeah. stride and didn't seem too bothered with it all. But look, there's a reason there's a negative perception of the franchise and why people were saying Zion Williamson should go back to Duke instead of playing here for New Orleans. Look at their history in wasting the talents of Anthony Davis. Five total playoff wins, two playoff appearances, and that's it in seven years. It's not a great track record. Yes, they have a new uh, vice president of basketball operations in David Griffin. You're making some changes. But this has only been the case for about a month or two. It's going to take longer for people around the country to realize that this is a new version of the Pelicans. Pelicans maybe is what you want to call it, and that it's not the same old story. They're not there yet. They've done a couple very good moves to be, to kind of set that off, but it takes a longer history to do that. So I understand why people are saying you don't want to see Zion on the Pelicans because they have wasted Anthony Davis. But you know what? They stick to their plan, keep getting small victories every single day like David Griffin wants. That 
uh, is going to change in the future going forward, and people will really start to respect this team. Yeah, you brought it up perfectly. That was kind of where I went off on at the beginning of the hour was how the national media isn't a fan of Anthony of seeing Zion Williamson over there largely because of the whole Anthony Davis situation, saying the front office is a mess. But the biggest thing that frustrates me is the fact that we were hearing a certain someone, I'm just going to call him the Sheldon Cooper of Sports Talk Radio, say that he should kind of take his name out of the draft and re-enter next year and go back to Duke for another year and you brought you broke it down in your podcast a lot from it, but those who haven't listened, how, how much of a possibility is that even? Well, I, I think it's been shot down now over the past day or so by his stepfather that he's not returning to Duke. Like he's going into the NBA. It's as simple as that. The reason why it doesn't work the way people thought is it's not like the NFL where if you look at an Eli Manning situation from a number of years ago, you know he said. Um, for, trade me to another team or I'm going to sit out for the year. And if you sit out for the year in the NFL, you then go back into the draft um, a year later and can be redrafted. And the NBA, it works where you have the rights to a player for three years. So if they draft him and he stays in the draft and then goes and plays overseas. He needs to play overseas for three years before he can come back and sign with another team. That is a long time to sit out and not make NBA-style money. It's also three years before you'll then be able to get your second and third contracts, which are where you make the majority of your money in the NBA. It just didn't make a lot of sense. Yes, he could have withdrawn from the draft, gone back to Duke, but you're not getting any money at Duke whatsoever, and you don't know who's going to be able to draft you next year, too. It could be the Pelicans again, and at a certain point, maybe it's just better to get into the NBA than not be in the NBA. I think that's kind of what you're seeing with Zion Williamson and his family and the decision that they're making. Talk right now with Jake Madison, Locked On Pelicans podcast. And my next question for you has to be this. You know, you look at the Pelicans, obviously you're going to get Zion Williamson more likely than not, number one pick in the NBA draft. What do the Pelicans do after the draft, kind of in free agency? Or when do you think they wind up pulling off the trade with Anthony Davis? Is it before, after the draft, what have you? I think it's you know either during the draft or shortly after the draft. Maybe you need to wait for something to get settled in the off season to make it official. Particularly if it is with the Boston Celtics. Technically, they can't trade for him until July one when Kyrie Irving opts out of his contract. But you can agree to the deal and the parameters of that uh, ahead of time. But I think it gets done sooner rather than later. You know, it delays your free agency plans if you don't know what you're going to have on the team or who you're going to have on the team, the type of players or the type of style you want to run. So it just kind of behooves everyone to get this done sooner. Um, Also, draft picks tend to lose value once they become actual players and not the promise of players. So getting a deal done before the draft is important when those picks and everything have the max value that they can kind of achieve. So I think we'll see this done on draft night. You know, we'll have a much clearer idea if AD's staying or not staying in the next two weeks, probably once he and David Griffin get together and meet. Once we have that, that's when people will really start picking up the phone, dialing New Orleans, and they'll work hard to get something done so that we can move on and start the next chapter of this franchise. And I have to agree with you. I think we need to see that next step in the franchise. And I feel like everybody's wanting to fast forward that because I saw something the other day, like right after the lottery, David Griffin got like over 200 texts and phone calls about trying to get this thing going already. It's, it's amazing to see how much things can change in a heartbeat in the NBA. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was one night and a 6% chance that kind of changed this the direction of this New Orleans franchise. I already thought it was trending in, a, in an all-right direction, a pretty good one. But this kind of is a complete game-changer. You have your new franchise player. You know, there was talk that you would trade Anthony Davis for Zion Williamson, maybe. Now you don't need to do that, and you can trade Anthony Davis for other players while still having Zion Williamson. So just the direction is completely moving in the right direction, and it's only good things, hopefully, from here on out for New Orleans. Jake Madison, Locked On Pelicans podcast. And we're going to talk a little NBA on the national front right now because, my goodness, the conference finals have pretty much been boring. Obviously, game one, game two between the Warriors and Blazers was very, very entertaining, but it just feels like it's more the same when you look at the Western Conference. The Eastern Conference, though, the Milwaukee Bucks are making it their own right now. Yeah, you know, I, we expected this in the West, and Portland had at least had a chance in Game 2, and they blew it, and this is without Kevin Durant, who's not playing in Games 3 or 4, but should the series somehow go to 5 or 6, there's almost no way they're, they're going to be able to win that and go on to the NBA Finals. You're going to see the Warriors in there sooner rather than later. In terms of the East, though, I think what, what, what you're seeing here is kind of the Raptors still being the Raptors. Um, where Kyle Lowry didn't have, you know, the best game in game one. He did show up very well in game two. I'll give him that. Um, and they're just kind of not as deep as Milwaukee is. And Milwaukee's built a very, very good team that can defend positions one through five. They switch. They just present matchup problems for almost anyone they've played. Look at what they did to the Celtics after the opening game of that series. Look what they did in the first round. There's a reason they've been the best team in the league all year long, having the best record. Um, and they'll have home court against the Golden State Warriors when these two teams meet in the finals. And that's where we're headed. Just a lot of length. You also have the best player on the court in Giannis. It's going to take something like Kawhi Leonard putting up 40 points nightly for them to have, for Toronto to have a chance. He's not going to be able to do that with the defense that Milwaukee has. And I think Milwaukee's going to continue to roll. Jake, I appreciate you coming on, my man. Why don't you let everybody know what's going to be coming up on Locked On Pelicans podcast in the not too distant future with the NBA draft coming up? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, I've got a, a complete scouting report on Zion Williamson offense, defense, his fit in New Orleans, the intangibles that he brings to this team. If you want to know more about the guy who's going to be leading the charge for the Pelicans next year? Give that a listen. Going to be looking at all the trade partners for New Orleans in the near future, the Lakers, the Knicks, the Celtics, some other dark horses as well. We'll bring in some great guests to kind of analyze the assets of those teams and see where an Anthony Davis trade uh, may occur. Jake, thanks again for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Of course. Thanks for having me on. All right. That was Jake Madison at Locked On Pelicans Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Nola Jake. And to give you a final kind of tally of what's going on with that poll right now on 103.7 The Game that I mentioned earlier, about which trade partner should the Pelicans work with to trade Anthony Davis? If you got to take the Arco Equipment Hotline, it has been wide open all show long. 337-706-0111. I'd love to hear from you in this final segment of this Saturday morning show. And I know a lot of people are listening, so just keep it locked right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com, huh? Bring it on under the dome with CD. Bringing more to you next. From the preps, I gave it a uh, a ten, a ten to the pros. And everywhere in between, let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, one zero three seven. The game. Let's begin now.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And also the free mobile app presented by Visit Avery Island. Hopefully, you're getting ready to have a really good day. Because you got all kinds of great stuff to look forward to this weekend. Sports is everywhere. Our quick equipment highlight open for just a few more minutes. 337-706-0111 live from the 237 Roof Studios is yours truly, the famous CD. That's me, hopefully. You're enjoying your Saturday already, listening to me. But, of course, we got a lot on tap for you today. Just on 103.7 The Game. This is why you need to be listening nonstop. Why am I saying that? Well, here's why. First things first, we have for you, coming up today, LSU Baseball taking on Auburn. Regular season finale. one thirty pregame, 2 o'clock first pitch, right here on 103.7 The Game. Also, right here on 103.7 The Game, right after that game wraps up, hopefully everything can kind of go right. Because, mind you, the last two games have gone like two and a half hours, so that's been really nice. But, hopefully everything can go right for game number three. It was going relatively quickly, and we can get you to the big race over at Pimlico. Pregnant stakes right here on 103.7 The Game. Thanks to Westwood One's coverage of the Triple Crown. Be right here. And I'm looking forward to it all the way around. It's going to be a great weekend of sports. And then Sunday... We're going to have Astros baseball coming on coming on this station. It's going to be a 11.30 pregame, I believe, 12 o'clock first pitch between the Astros and the Red Sox, the final game of that series at Fenway. And the next weekend, it'll be over at Minute Park for Memorial Day weekend, which is going to be pretty awesome. And I'm kind of jealous of one Benjamin Love for being out there because that's definitely one heck of a way to spend a Memorial Day weekend out at Minute Maid. This is a great place to spend a good time in general when you look at Minute Maid Park. In fact, they just recently added something that he'll be seeing over there, which I think is really, really cool. And that is adding a giant World Series ring just outside of the venue. And it is really cool to see kind of how that's set up. They've got it just outside the arena. You can check it out online right now. There's pictures of it. They actually have a video of them putting it together. And that's just really cool stuff right there, setting that up and having everybody kind of have I mean, that's another place where you can want to take pictures of a giant World Series ring with the Astros logo emblazoned on it. And honestly, I just love it. I love it. Everything they can do to promote the World Series title they have is fantastic. Oh, man, this is great. Alvin Gamera just recently got the key to Monroe, Louisiana, and he says, who want to come over? I'm sorry not to be people want to come over to Monroe, Louisiana. I'm sorry to the people up in North Louisiana, but, you know, not exactly the place I'd want to be. You know, while the Cajuns, they're about to get started their game at noon in Monroe, Louisiana. You look at the, obviously, you've got Cajun softball, Ole Miss. That's starting in a few minutes, so we got that going for us, which is nice. We'll have a lot of early games. Be able to wrap up my day a little bit earlier so I can enjoy the Preakness in the comfort of my own home. Maybe do some cool stuff this weekend. Honestly, just looking forward to it all the way around. Hopefully, you're looking forward to it as well. Honestly, 103.7 The Game has got you covered with the coverage of the Preakness, LSU Baseball, Astros. There's no reason why you should ever change that dial on Acadian and Sports Station 103.7 The Game. And I mentioned I was going to kind of put it into the poll and just kind of give you an idea of what's happening right now. We've got 42 total votes over the course of two hours. Big ups to y'all because the last few, poll, last few polls – on a Saturday, 
haven't necessarily done as well as I as I'd like it to be. You know, sometimes it's just it is what it is. This one's done really, really well. And it's which trade partner should the Pelicans work with to trade Anthony Davis? And I'm kind of surprised to see how things went. And they're all kind of in agreement with me. It is Anthony Davis going to the Boston Celtics overwhelming 55%. Meanwhile, you've got the New York Knicks 31%, the Los Angeles Lakers standing at 14%. Definitely one heck of a way to end the show. I appreciate every one of the guests for coming on. Eric Lopez, Taryn Wack, Jake Madison. Candace here couldn't make it. She wasn't able to come on. She texted me later on in the show about the fact she was in a car accident. Thankfully, she's okay. Car not so much. So hopefully she's able to get through it just fine. But that's I'm just glad she's okay. Hopefully we can have her on ahead of the Belmont Stakes in just a few short weeks. But I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday, everybody. I'm Clint Doming. Thanks to my producer extraordinaire, Clint Doming. Oh, yeah, that's me. I'm the same person. I do all of it here on 103.7 The Game. Produce the show. Put together the sound bites, the content. My goodness, this show is over. Be back with you next Saturday. I'm sure I'll come up with something else to talk about. Or better yet, somebody else is going to give me something to talk about. Right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Peace! From the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is KLWB Karen Crow Lafayette. 1037 The Game. Adult Media Studios.